Our Heavenly Father, it's, it's good for us to have silence. It's good for us to just take a deep breath sometimes and, and focus our attention, our hope, our desires, our dreams, our aspirations, our freedoms, to think and place all of that at the foot of the cross and to entirely put our hope in you. The psalmist is right in confronting our hearts by asking us the question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you discouraged? Why is there turmoil within my heart? Lord, please help us in this moment to trust in you and to place our hope in you. Everything is going to be just fine. Everything is working out for our good. And every decision that has been made in America, all the events that are happening surrounding even our own town, our own city, our own household, all of it is culminating to a time where you're going to come back on your white horse. You're going to pull a double-edged sword out of your mouth and you're going to slay the wicked and you're going to redeem us all and you're going to take us home to glory. Victory belongs to the Lord. Victory is in your hands. We know the end, and it's beautiful. Lord, help us to cling to that and to put our hope in that. And as we cast our minds into eternity and into the future, it helps us and it motivates us to live for you today. Lord, I pray as we turn our attention now to Titus and we get to study your word, the very words of God. Lord, give us attentive ears. Give us soft hearts. Allow us to cling to the truth that is spoken to us through the writing of Paul to Titus. And may we be encouraged by it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, open to the book of Titus. We are just starting this study uh, very early stages of the study. We got through the first half of the first sentence uh, last week as we introduced the book together. Uh, Titus has received a letter from the Apostle Paul. Titus was left behind on the island of Crete, according to verse 5, and Paul left him there for the very purpose of, of ministering to these young churches. Uh, he was there to strengthen the churches that are on this island of Crete. There's multiple churches there, and Paul's job, not as a pastor, but as a ministry leader, was to strengthen these churches. And he was going to do this, and we looked at this last week, uh, just as a, uh, an outline of the entire book. He was going to do this by, first of all, appointing elders in every town. He's going to strengthen the church through church leadership. He's going to spend time making sure the foundation is set in church leadership. Second, he was going to teach sound doctrine. Chapter 2, in verse 1. It says there to teach sound doctrine. He's going to do that to strengthen the members of the church, the five categories of, of people in the church that are listed in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he was going to strengthen the church by reminding us of our witness to the world, that we have a job to do in the world, that our obedience matters, that the way we behave, that the way we are submissive, all of that matters in regards to our witness to the world. So you can see this in chapter 1, it's about church leadership. Chapter 2, it's about the church body. In chapter 3, it's about the church witness. You're going to hear me say that 
over and over and over again until it's in our minds because it helps us understand this letter to Titus. It's a short letter. It's a brief letter. It's a condensed letter. And its, concerned, uh, it's concern is for the churches. And Paul starts out this letter of Titus, verses 1 to 4, with a brief sketch of himself. A little, a little understanding of, of who the Apostle Paul is, what he did, what he lived by, what motivated him, and what his convictions are. And he did this so that the people who received the letter would know that this came from the Apostle Paul, and he has delegated his authority and his power to Titus to do the job that he is asking him to do. And last week, we looked at verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The first conviction of the apostle Paul was this, to embrace your identity in God. Paul embraced the fact that he was a servant of God or a slave of God. He was first and foremost God's child. He was first and foremost God's possession. He was under the authority and power of God. He had no rights in and of himself. He was totally God's to be used by God in any way. That's what it means to be a servant of God or a slave of God. And what believers do is they embrace that identity that they have in God. God, I'm entirely yours to be used however you want to use me in this world. I am your slave. I am your servant. And that motivated everything that the Apostle Paul did. That's conviction number one. Conviction number two, then, is this. As it says there right out of the text, embrace the mission of God. The Apostle Paul embraced the mission of God. Look at what it says. In fact, let's just read the first four verses together. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifests in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. If you look closely at the second line there of verse 1, Paul describes, first of all, that he's a servant of God, an apostle of God, which is a messenger of God, and it leads him to this mission in his life. It says this, For the sake of of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth with which accords with godliness. Being a slave of God and being a servant of God, being his messenger, it produces a life that is on a mission. And his mission was very specific. It says there that it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul's mission was a life of evangelism that was dedicated to see people come to know Christ, that's salvation, the faith of God's elect, and the growth in godliness is their sanctification. This was Paul's two-part purpose in life. He wanted to see people come to know Christ, and he wanted to see people grow in Christ. And he does that. He lives that way because he's motivated by his identity. I'm a servant of God. I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ, 
for the sake of the faith of God's elect. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to see the elect have faith. I want to see the the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. That means I want to see people grow in Christ. I want to see people mature in Christ. This was the mission of the Apostle Paul. This was his life. Everything he did came out of this conviction. Every decision, everywhere he went, it was based on this conviction of his life that he was to see people come to know Christ and to grow in Christ. Now, this mission is exactly the mission that Jesus gave us. If you look back with me in Matthew chapter 28, you can hear the, the same similar principles come out of what Jesus had told his disciples and the people who were on the mountain there with him when he gave the, the great commission. Listen to it with this understanding of the Apostle Paul's goal in life, his purpose in life, his mission in life. Matthew 28, verse 16, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, now here's, here it is. Here's what we're to do. Church, this is our mission right here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? That's part one. Here's part two. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's the same mission, it's the same message that, that Paul is taking uh, from Jesus. It's handed to him, the baton's been handed to him, and he's saying the exact same thing. My life, my goal, my purpose, my job is to make disciples and is to see them mature in Jesus Christ. It drove everything about him. Every decision came out of this mission this purpose. I thought it would be interesting to see what the mission or the purpose of some businesses in the area are. So I went online and I looked up Amazon. You guys familiar with Amazon? Yeah, we're all familiar with Amazon. Here's their mission statement. Our mission is to continually raise the bar of the customer experience by using the internet and technology to help consumers find, discover, and buy anything and empower businesses and content creators to maxim maximize their success, we aim to be the Earth's most consumer-centric company. You guys are like, great, can I just have my package tomorrow when I, when I order it? Microsoft says this, to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. Tesla is this, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. This is what drives everything that these companies do. Bitcoin. I have no idea what Bitcoin does. No, no, no. I don't think Bitcoin even knows what it does. Redemption Hill Bible Church. What is our mission? Why do we exist as a church? What is our purpose statement? This is our purpose. We exist to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. This is why 
our church comes together, it is so that we can be in the business of what Jesus had asked the disciples to do, to ask the Apostle Paul to do, and now is asking the church, Redemption Hill Bible Church, to do. That is to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, that is greater than ourselves, that, that lasts for eternity, and that is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. Let me ask you a question. We, we, we did this last week. We did this little experience last week, experiment last week. We asked ourselves, what describes us? Right? We said, okay, Paul describes himself as a servant and an apostle. Okay, I describe myself as this, and we, we talked about that. Okay, now I'm going to ask you this question. What is your purpose in life? What's your life's mission? If you could just come up with a single sentence, Amazon took three, so you get three sentences to come up with your life's mission. The very purpose of why you exist. What, what would you write down right now? Joe Pemberthy, I exist to, it sounds crazy, but what you write down motivates everything about you. It motivates the very reason why you wake up every day. And for some of you, you've never even had that experience to, to even that experiment to even think about what it is that drives you every day to do the things you do, why you do them, and your very purpose in this life. I don't remind you, I don't want to tell you that the same purpose that the Apostle Paul had and all those people who are on the mountainside with Jesus had is the same purpose for every single believer. And what makes life meaningful, what makes life purposeful, what gives you reason to exist and to live and enjoy life and to make it effective is when you take all the skills and all the abilities and all the wealth and all the experiences of life, all your failures, all your successes, all your training, and you funnel it into this very purpose statement to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. God has uniquely gifted you. God has uniquely given you experiences. God has uniquely allowed you to fail. God has given you success. God has given you all these things, all of those things funneled into this. I just want to see people come to know Christ. And the ones who do know Christ, you know what I want? I want to see them grow in Christ. And I want to do whatever I can based on how God has, has uniquely wired me and gifted me to help in that process. Not everybody can sing. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can be an encourager like some of you can. Not everybody has the technology background, the business background, these, all these backgrounds. Not everybody has the same thing. But when we take all these great resources that has been given to the church, all this talent, and we funnel that into this purpose statement, that's when we become crazy effective for Jesus Christ as Redemption Hill Bible Church. But it's got to start with you. It's got to start with you understanding that you have been called to this. Now, are there people who have been called to full-time ministry? Of course. And it's their job, the pastor's job, to equip you to do this work. According to Mission Impossible, uh, you remember the opening, uh, the opening scene always has this statement. 
if you choose to accept this mission. You don't get that. When you became a believer, you accepted the mission. You don't get to pick your own. You don't get to decide your own. When you became a a follower of Jesus Christ, you have chosen this mission in life. Now notice this, because there's some explaining we need to do here. It says, for the sake, which we know what that means, that's the purpose, that's the reason, of the faith of God's elect. What does that mean? For the faith, or of the faith of God's elect. Who are God's elect? The elect are those who God chose before the foundation of the world to salvation. They are the chosen of God. I want you to see this back in Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1. As we hear similar language as to understand who the elect are, that are those are those who have been chosen of God for salvation. Starting verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us. And the beloved, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will of of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that who we are, The first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. What's the point? What's the purpose? Choose, choose, predestine, predestine. God is sovereign in salvation. God owns salvation. John chapter 15, in verse 16, it says it very clearly from from the words of Jesus himself. In John uh, 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father, it may be given to you. Acts chapter 13. Forty-six to forty-eight. And Paul said to Barnabas, he spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for 
So the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring forth to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying. Okay, here it is. 48. Glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 13 says this God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth what is Paul saying here in Titus chapter 1? What he, what he is saying is this, that God is sovereignly in control of salvation. God holds the keys to salvation. It is his salvation. He has chosen, he's elected, he's predestined those for salvation. And he also says this, though, because you can see it right there in the text, that the only way that you know that someone is chosen for salvation is if they believe, if they have faith. It is faith that activates your salvation. Meaning that we still have the responsibility to have faith. We have to believe. Acts 16.31 says, What must I do to be saved? says very clearly, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, "For for For by grace you have been saved through faith. You say, well, Paul's life mission was to be an evangelist to those who have already been elected and those who have already been predestined and those who have already been saved. What's the incentive to do any sort of evangelism if all of it's been said, all of it's been done? I mean, why, why do this in the first place? How, how could Paul be so passionate about this? Critics would say, well, you don't, You don't need to share the gospel. You don't need to share your faith. It's already been said and done. Well, if that's the truth, the Apostle Paul didn't get that memo. The Apostle Paul missed that email. That letter didn't get sent to his mailbox because every single book he wrote in the New Testament talks about predestination, talks about being chosen of God, talks about the elect of God. But what this does for us is we're on a life's mission as our purpose in life is to go out and to spread the gospel, there's no pressure. There's no pressure. God's already done it. So our mission is to find and to go out and to teach the gospel to impart faith to those who would believe. And so really, what it comes down to then is faithfulness. We labor, we work hard, we strive for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul labored for the elect. In fact, listen to this verse, 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. 2 Timothy 2.10. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And just so that we can be clear here on this issue... Redemption Hill Bible Church preaches that salvation is for everyone. 
We preach that God desires for all men to be saved, but we also believe that God holds the key and is sovereign over salvation. We believe and we teach and we preach that you should train your children to grow in the things of the Lord. And we believe and we preach and we teach, just so that I'm clear, that all men have an opportunity at salvation. But at the end of the day, it is God who makes that decision. God's in control of everything. To believe in the sovereignty of God is to believe that God is sovereign over salvation. If God is not sovereign over salvation, then you can't call him sovereign. And the lifelong mission then is to faithfully and accurately and passionately share the gospel knowing that it is God who ultimately saves. And this was Paul's mission. It's for the sake of the faith of God's elect. It's for me to preach and teach so that you would come to faith. In Jesus Christ. Now, that's one part of the mission. Here's the second part. Look at the text. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, that's evangelism. And their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, that's sanctification. So it's not just let's just get them saved and leave them alone. Let's not just get them saved and then just, just wipe our hands clean and say the job's done. No, Jesus said very clearly, teach them all that I've commanded you. Paul is here saying, uh, which accords with godliness, that they need to be matured in Christ. This is spiritual growth. Paul wasn't just interested in seeing people saved. He labored to see people grow in Christ. Now notice this. Between this phrase, uh, the faith of God's elect, and which accords with godliness, there's a phrase there that you should underline. It's very, very important. It says this, their knowledge of the truth. Okay, which, what, what, what holds salvation and sanctification together is what? The knowledge of the truth. There is an emphasis on God's truth. There's a specific emphasis on the knowledge of God's truth. Spiritual maturity only happens as you grow in depth in the things of the Lord. In fact, that word knowledge there, it, uh, it defines a set of, of doctrines. Uh, it, it has the idea of full knowledge. It has the idea of, uh, of deep knowledge. It has the idea of sound teaching. It's being a student of sound teaching. And godliness or spiritual maturity depends on our understanding and application of God's word. This is why, and I'll let you in on a little secret, this is why we spend so much time in the Bible. This is why we spend so much time in one verse of the Bible. Because I don't want to give you a birdbath sermon that is very shallow. I want to take you deep into God's word so that you understand the riches of it. And as you gain more knowledge and as you grow in depth of the knowledge of truth, you grow in depth of spiritual maturity. It's the knowledge of the truth that we need to hold on to, sound teaching. Jesus said this in John 17, 17, when he was praying for us, as he would ask the Father to leave us here on earth, then he says this, sanctify them in the, what is it? Truth. Your word is truth. How do you grow? Knowledge and understanding of the truth. 
In 2 Peter 1.3, Peter said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here it is. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Tim Chester says this, As our faith grows in knowledge, so we grow in godliness. The more we understand what God has done for us in Christ, the more we will love Him and live for Him. Truth is essential. But I also want to say this, practically speaking then, sound doctrine, okay, follow this, sound doctrine leads to a sound life, okay? Sound doctrine leads to a sound life. Healthy understanding of God leads to depth of love, selflessness, and our actions are motivated by the knowledge of God that we have, sound doctrine. Unhealthy doctrine leads to an unhealthy life. Unhealthy doctrine leads to poor decisions in life. Think about this with me, okay? Right now, think about someone that you know. Well, who comes to mind when you think of a, a godly person who has depth? I mean, they have warmth to them. They have depth to them. Who comes to mind? Now, trace those actions back to their theology. They have a true understanding of God, don't they? They have a depth of the knowledge of God, don't they? Now, think of somebody who proclaims Christ. Follow them, trace back their actions. They're leading a life that's just tossed and turned by every wind and wave, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to live their life. Trace back their theology. What does it lead to? What's my point? My point is this. There is a connection between good theology and your actions. There's a, there's a connection between the knowledge of truth and the depth of that knowledge and your actions. You can liken it to healthy eating. Say, man, that guy's fit. That woman's fit. That, that, that person uh, is healthy, a healthy person. Well, you can trace that back to what? <laughs> what they're eating, what they're putting in their body. The same is true spiritually. That person is deep. That person, uh, that person loves the Lord. You can see it in their actions. Trace it back to what? It's healthy teaching that they're getting. This was the Apostle Paul's life. His mission was for people to have a depth of the knowledge of truth because it accords with godliness. I want to even give you an example here. Here's the illustration, the biblical illustration. Just drop your eyes down to verse 10. Titus 1, verse 10. Here's the illustration. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. That's unhealthy doctrine right there. Verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Their testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, for they, might, for they may be, uh, for, uh, sorry, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, there is nothing pure. But, though, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. 
That's the illustration. Unhealthy theology, unhealthy teaching leads to unhealthy living. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. But this was Paul's mission. He wanted to see people grow in Christ. He wanted to see people come to Christ. He wanted to see people have faith in Christ. In fact, if Paul had a a verse that kind of summed up his, his life's ministry verse. It's in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Turn there. I want you to see it. It's worth looking at. This was Paul's life. This is what drove him. Verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1. It's worth underlining. Him... We proclaim. That's evangelism. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is why I struggle and toil with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. This is why I live my life. I want to see people grow in Christ. I want to see people love the Lord. I want to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to evangelize them, and then I want to disciple them. I want to, I want to see them saved, and then I want to see them sanctified. Which leads to these questions in your life. Two questions I have for you. Number one is this. What are you doing in your life to grow in depth of knowledge of the truth? Right now, write it down. What are you doing to grow in the depth and knowledge of truth in your life? Are you in a Bible study? Are you you doing personal devotions? Are, Are you surrounding people who are getting you deeper into God's word? We have one on Sunday night. Come come learn about revelations on Sunday night at the Parsons home. You will grow in depth and knowledge of Jesus Christ, which will lead to healthy actions. Secondly, then, is this. What are you doing in your life to see people come to know Christ and to mature them in Christ? What are some things that you're doing that, are, that, that has you uh, as a piece of this puzzle, which is the mission of God? What, what are some things that you're doing? Let me give you some, okay? Let me give you 12, 12 things. I came up with 12. There's probably 100, but I have 12. Number one, this is how you can be a part of this mission. Have coffee or lunch with someone in the church, and encourage them with Scripture. Okay, I know all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, I thought I had to convert somebody. No, <laughs> no, I'm just asking you to, just, to, just to have coffee or lunch with someone and encourage them with Scripture. That gets you in the game. Have a family over for dinner. Talk about Sunday's message together with them. Have a, have a single guy or gal over and feed them, and they would love that, especially the guys that are single. Like it's a good home-cooked meal. Encourage them in the things of the Lord. That's helping to mature their faith. Send out a random text to somebody in the church. Hey, here's a verse that I'm thinking about, and I think you should think about it. Even if you don't think about it, I still think you should. Boom, boom, here's the text. And you're encouraging them, what? With Scripture. That's getting you in the game. Invite your neighbor to church. Again. Right? Because you're like, I already checked that box. 
the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Okay, let's just keep going back. Number six, participate in a small group. Participate in a Bible study. And by your presence alone, you'll be an encouragement to the people around you. You don't have to do anything. Just by showing up, you're an encouragement. Number seven, randomly send someone a gift. Let them know that you're thinking of them, that you're praying for them. This will inspire them to do the same and therefore acting more like Christ. Number eight, call someone in the church and encourage them in the Lord. Number nine, write a card to someone in the church. Write down some scripture on that. Let them know that you're thinking of them and and praying for them. Here's one for you guys. Play golf with somebody and spend four hours talking about the Lord outside in the beautiful weather of Washington. Yeah, that got some heads up right there. That got some smiles on behind your masks there. Walk with someone. Do a prayer walk. Exercise. Talk about Scripture together. Give generously to the church so that the work of making and maturing disciples can continue to happen within the church. How about this? Help on Sunday morning. Come early. Just show up and say, hey, what can I do? And if you can't do anything, just start talking about the things of the Lord with the people around you. They'll be like, hey, I got a job to do. I don't care. I got to tell you about what I learned this week. Encourage one another. I think sometimes, guys, we have this, this mindset that to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ is like for other people and it's not for me. And that sometimes you're like, I don't even know how to do that. Where do I even begin? How do I even start this process? Because I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to live my life. I want it to mean something. I want to be effective in this. These are just ways that you just start the process. Get involved. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. All you have to do is care enough about the Word of God, pleasing the Lord, living your life on mission, and loving others. So, wrap this up. Paul embraced his identity in Christ. That was his first conviction. Secondly, he embraced the mission of God. I'll give you the third one, just kind of as an appetizer. You're going to have to come back next week to get it all. It's to embrace the promise of God. Okay, the reason that the Apostle Paul could do this, you ready for this, is because his salvation was secure. He believed in the security of his salvation, and that motivated him to do what he could do live how he could live, be persecuted how he could be persecuted, because at the end of the day, he was going to heaven. This is what it says. Look at what it says. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. That is the hope of eternal life the eternal security of the believer. If you ever wondered, can I lose my salvation? You're going to have to find out next week if you can or if you can't lose your salvation. But I'm just going to give you a hint. You can't. So now you got to come back. <laughs> you, now you got to come back and learn how biblically how I know you can't. It's not because I said it. It's because what God said. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. The reminders 
here of even even right now it's so hard to just kind of wonder what am I doing in life what's going on everything's changing it, the world's upside down what how am I supposed to live my life what am I supposed to do thank you for grounding us again with the reminder that our mission does not change even though the economy changes the president changes senators change government changes the world changes there's a pandemic our mission does not change we wake up and we figure out how to help people come to know Christ and mature in their faith. Lord, please bring to mind this week ways that we can practically do that. Give us the courage even to just want to call someone or text someone or write a letter to someone or attend a Bible study so that we can live a life on mission. And we want to do all of this, not for our own glory, not to puff ourselves up. All of it is to the praise and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.